electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just entertain, but put days like today into context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. The line is drawn, the curse it is cast. The slow ones now will later be fast. As the present now will later be passed. The order is rapidly fading. And the first one now will later be last for the times they are changing. Yeah, just think about it. When Bob Dylan wrote those words in 1964, I know he wasn't singing about the stock market 60 years in the future. But what can I say? The times, they are changing. The guy nailed it. Because as the Federal Reserve changed its tune yesterday, it destroyed the old order of what was working. Sure, you can't tell from the bullish behavior of the averages. Dow gaining 158 points, SP climbing 0.26%, NASDAQ advancing 0.19%. But the turmoil underneath was absolutely shocking. This was not a market led by the Magnificent Seven. Apple caught a very bullish piece of Wall Street research, yet the stock did nothing today. Amazon got slammed off 0.95%. Even as we're hearing nothing but good things about the holiday season, Alphabet took it on the chin. Down about a half a percent, despite just unveiling its exciting generative AITs. Advertisers have been fleeing Twitter, now X, for meta platforms. But that stock still also fell nearly a half a percent. Down a lot more at one point. Microsoft probably has the most solid portfolio of software out there, as well as huge investment in the pioneers at OpenAI. But its stock plummeted 2.25%. NVIDIA, the king of the semis. But the times they are changing, stock did next to nothing today. Only Tesla mounted a meaningful rally up almost 5%. Is it an aberration? No, it's an explanation. On the last conference call, Elon Musk bemoaned how higher interest rates were causing a slowdown in car purchases. But yesterday, when Jay Powell effectively ended his historic tightening cycle, he changed everything for the stock market. Now rates are going down again. Tesla's biggest worry? Well, I got to tell you, it is gone. Remember, one of the main reasons everybody loved Magnificent Seven was the fact that the exception of Tesla, they are immune to the Fed's rate hikes. Immune. They all had something so special. Even when rates went higher, their franchises weren't impacted. That's why we love them. Of course, the companies won't be impacted if rates go lower either. But their stocks will because there are so many other parts of the economy that do better with lower interest rates that the money is going to shift from the Magnificent Seven as it started yesterday and did today and go to these other stocks. So many stocks. Look, the slow ones now will later be fast that the order of stocks simply changed on a dime. And it left a host of new winners in its path, winners that had been total losers until 2 p.m. yesterday when the Fed issued its statement. These stocks were formerly roadkill because they needed lower rates in order to prosper. We look at our own portfolio for the Chapel Trust, the one you can follow by joining the CBC Investing Club, which I wish you would do, and the new leadership jumps out like, I don't know, maybe like a bull on a railway. <laughs> Take Ford. Poor Ford. 
stung by labor costs, wild by electric vehicle expenses, crushed by extraordinarily high auto loan rates. Now, though, there's nothing to pity about Ford. It's all changed. Its customers can get cheaper financing by its vehicles. Its sales won't take a hit from the hard landing recession because that's not happening. They love the hybrid F-150. And meanwhile, the stock supports a 5% dividend yield. Right now, 5% is competitive with what you can get from short-term treasuries. But once the Fed starts cutting rates, oh, my, that 5% is going to look a lot more attractive. And that's how the stock of Ford rallied 7.47% in one day. And then there's Caterpillar. Cal was once the bait of the charitable trust's existence as bears endlessly lean on the stock and going by a host of negative analysts. You think that sucks up more than 6% today because the company's doing great right now? Wrong! Cats roaring because of what's going to happen in the future as rates come down. Specifically, the shorts are just terrified. They're just frightened. They're so scared. They're frantically buying the stock hand over fist in order to close out their positions before the bearish analysts go and capitulate, and they'll go from sell to buy. A double upgrade. Who could blame them? Everybody thought Cat had too much inventory for a slowing economy. Now it's just enough inventory to handle a fine economy, with tons of federal infrastructure orders coming next year, not to mention new business from home builders and road builders. And that's how Cat stock could rally a glorious $17 a share. Footlocker! Today, all sorts of consistent retailers saw their stocks get mauled. But how about a struggling outfit like Footlocker, which suspended its dividend and has seen a dramatic deceleration in sales? Stock fell from $42 in May to under $15 in its August lows. Thanks in part to worries about how a hard landing would hurt their more downscale customer base. Footlocker looked like the corner, despite the hard work of Mary Dillon, the incredible former CEO of Ulta Beauty, who was brought in to work her turnaround magic and succeeded wildly. Footlocker's been treated like a pinata by the analyst community, bashing it with one price target cut after another. Today, though, Piper Sailor, perhaps sensing the zeitgeist at the moment, upgraded Footlocker, saying the markdowns will soon be history and the newness will be the theme for 2024. They say the crisis is uh, it, it's off the table. No wonder the stock rallied nearly 10%, one of the biggest gains in the index. But my favorites are the two franchises that have been overlooked forever because of higher rates. Two banks, Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley, which both rallied about 6% today. That move got me thinking about Wells. Now, many of you are probably either don't remember or maybe too young to remember when Wells Fargo was by far the best bank in this nation. One that Warren Buffett used to own as a huge position. See, back in the day, Wells would always rally furiously at the end of every rate hike cycle. You had to own Wells. These days, because of all the ne'er-do-wells, all the terrible things they did, most view Wells Fargo as a Prometheus bound in red tape and government investigations. But those are almost over. And now we can see how Prometheus unbound works, with the stock perhaps headed back to the 60s, where it was five years ago in February, what, February 8th of, uh, of 2018. Not many large bank stocks can rally $2.75 in a single day. As for Morgan Stanley, Wall Street assumed that last quarter was horrendous. Stock had been sinking for months and then cliff dived from 80 to 70 after earnings. I defended it, saying you'll you'll have to wait. You you can't. A more normal environment is going to do better. 
What happens when Shein and Viore and Databricks and Stripe and General Atlantic come public? What happens when its wealthy clients want to investigate? What happens when the Fed stops tightening? Well, today we found out Morgan Stanley soars up $5.41. This shocking revaluation is happening everywhere. The solar stocks led by Enphase Energy. They've been cut in half because most people thought they thought they were solar stocks. No, it's about financing. That's right. The solar stocks were really placed on interest rates, and those rates got too high. Now we know rates are going lower, and that's how Enphase stock could rally 12 percent today after nearly eight percent yesterday. These are amazing moves, people. Now, some of these some of these are maybe too outsized. You're getting all the performance you could dream of over the course of a month or a quarter, or maybe even a year. I don't know. In one day, one afternoon. It can't stay that way. In fact, we'll probably even see return to some magnificent seven money before they report, although the stocks will likely be rebounding from a lower level. And I don't think the suddenly hard hit enterprise software stocks will go away that quietly. But the bottom line of this incredibly exciting 48 hours, we know that when we have leadership from the banks, earth movers and shoe stores, that the times, they are a changing. And to me, it's a reminder, once again, you've got to stay diversified. Because after yesterday, there is a pulse outside of the magnificent seven. Mike in Illinois. Mike. Kramer, how are you? Happy hey. holidays to you and your family and all the investment club members and all your employees. Thanks, big guy. What's happening? I uh, joined the club about three months ago. I'm real happy. I've, I've been listening to you for probably five years. I finally decided to join. Thank you for that. Thank you. And like all, uh, my, all own, my friends in Texas that I saw last weekend, who are so many members. There you go. Listen, I bought Walmart back about six months ago. I added to it about two months ago. Uh, it has not done well. I'm a, little, I'm a little above water on it, but... The question is, I'm thinking about getting rid of it and getting Costco instead. What are your thoughts? Well, Costco reported tonight, and uh, Jeff's on that conference call, Jeff Marks. And, you know, uh, it looks like they're going to do a special dividend. Look, I happen to love Costco, all right? But I think Walmart's good, too. And Costco was at its high, and Walmart's much lower. So I don't want you to sell Walmart. I think there's a lot still there. Uh, and I, we will find when Jeff Marks has finished his wrap-up of Costco, because remember the club, we will know everything. So that's what I'm waiting for. But thank you for the kind words. Why don't we go to Jimmy in Massachusetts? Jimmy. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on. I'm here with my fellow Westfield State finance students, Hannah and Eric. And we are wondering what your opinion is on Macy's with all the talks of buyout from Arkhouse and Brigade Capital. Okay, so Hannah, Eric, and, uh, and Mr. Jimmy, here's the problem. That stock has now had this run based on rumor. And I don't like rumor. I don't know what's going on. I do think the stock is incredibly cheap. But what happens if they come out and say, you're like, you know, hey, we're not real. And then the stock goes to 17. And you and the, your fellow students are going to say, well, why did Kramer hose me? I'm not doing that. I'm not a hoser. Okay, Douglas in Texas, please. Douglas. Hey, Jim. I think the market is wrong on airlines, especially United Airlines. I'm seeing uh, United make $9 a share and only get a P.E. ratio of 4, while the industry is hanging out at 10. And, like, Southwest is making $0.78, cents and they got a P.E. of 40. I know United has a lot of debt, but they're aggressively paying off debt and making more money per share than any of their peers and have rapidly decreasing fuel prices while maintaining uh, robust demand. Tell me why United shouldn't be trading between 80 and $100 a share, which would really only represent a P.E. of 9 to 10. Well, I think it's inconsistency. A lot of times you wake up and you see that they cut numbers, which just drives me crazy. But I will grant you this. It's up 15% for the year, and I think it should be higher. I don't understand the P.E. disparity is wrong here. I think you're just. I think that Douglas in Texas is very much on to something. 
All right, the times, they are changing in this market. And now it's time for the laggers to start leading us, okay? The slow ones now will later be fast. Man, money tonight. Chewy held its first ever investor day here at the New York Stock Exchange, and I learned a ton about some businesses that they're doing quite well in. Then Vertex Pharma shared a handful of positive updates on the pipeline. It caused the stock to jump higher. Is the run warranted? I'm going to tell you why I stayed on the stock. And then we've heard very different stories from Dick's Sporting Goods and Academy Sports on the state of their business. So which is the better one to buy? I will give you my take. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Could Chewy, the digital store for pet food and supplies, finally be putting in what I think might be a sustainable bottom after nearly three years of declines? Chewy came public exactly four and a half years ago, and America fell in love with it during COVID because people didn't feel safe going to brick and mortar pet stores. But once it got over the pandemic, Federal Reserve started raising interest rates, putting the kibosh on the junior growth stocks like this one. Chewy stock got obliterated. Just this week, the company reported a solid set of results, paired with a little light guidance for the current quarter, lowered full-year forecast. Okay, not great, but 
Chewy hosted its first ever Investor Day right here at the New York Exchange today. And I, Sanji, I, I got to tell you, I, I saw a lot of things I didn't know about this company. I really didn't. So let's take a closer look with Sumit Singh. He's the CEO of Chewy. Uh, and I want to, Mr. Singh, I want to welcome you back because after the Investor Day, I have to tell you, I no longer thought of you as just a auto ship food with some discretionary toys. But I realized that you could be the ultimate pet healthcare company. That's exactly right, Jim. It's nice to, nice to be here, by the way. So we, yes, we have a three plus billion dollars healthcare business, which is about 30% of the company with margins that are 1,000 basis points higher than our retail business. So over the last few years, we've been focused on building this ecosystem that we're super proud to share today. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I honestly, I felt that that I always thought it was, I thought it was the interest rates and the slowdown, and people don't. When the Fed did raise, it did hurt all these things. But I mean, I, I, you're talking about an average plan that costs fifty dollars a month this is for the insurance, about six hundred dollars a year. But anybody who has a pet knows that's a pretty good deal, given the fact that you're really, you know, playing with Russian roulette if you don't have this. That's exactly right. Insurance is a four billion dollar TAM today, right. growing to seven billion very quickly. And if you look at the United States, only three percent. Insurance is penetrated to the tune of 3%, whereas mm-hmm. if you look at mature markets such as the UK or the Australia or the New Zealand, I mean, there's fifth, mid-teens to high-teens. Yeah, so 17% for, for UK. Yeah, for UK, that's that, exactly that, right. So it's a natural uh, exactly progression. Right. And it's a, it's a considered purchase, and cons- customers want to associate themselves with a brand that is trusted. And we've partnered with two other brands, Trupanion and Lemonade, that are best in class yes. to bring curated plans for customers that are only available at Chewy. And so we're, we're excited about this vertical. We believe, you know, we can help democratize and commercialize insurance where it hasn't been done so far. In, in, well, in I think it's great. I also, you know, I was naive about another thing. I was making a joke. I said, oh, yeah, do they have telehealth? What is a dog? Call a, the doctor. No joke. This is a gigantic business, telehealth. Yeah, that's exactly right. When you look at, you know, there, there's two things going on. One, millennials and Gen Zs, which are now even a greater population owning pet parents, they are much more propense towards using technology for their needs. Two, when you look at the veterinarian market, there is a huge uh, pent-up demand for veterinarians Mm -hmm. and service levels. Sometimes it's hard to get get an appointment. And vets are are working hard. And at the same time, if you can bring a technology like this forward to be able to triage, even if you're not prescribing medicine, when you're triaging and qualifying use cases or traffic that ends up at the veterinarian's clinic, that's a huge win. Well, let me ask you. Let's say your pet gets sick. It's 11 o'clock and they ate a raisin. That's right. Okay? Uh, for us, there's one in Brooklyn. There's one veterinarian that's open at that hour. It's about two and a half miles. You got to walk. You have to hand, you know, carry the dog. And I'm like, how does this happen? Can't we get a vet in the middle of the night and just ask? I can do that with your program, you right? Can. Yes, you can. And so we, we have the video feature now available for a bit now. And the take rate has been really impressive. And we are qualifying about 60% of the leads that we get when we triage. We are qualifying those leads back to the veterinarian clinic if required. And so customers are getting tremendous value, peace of mind, especially during the time at 9 p.m. when Fluffy eats a chocolate chocolate cake. Who do you call? You call Chewy. And, And by the way, the connect with a vet program that we're talking about is fully app integrated. So it's like you walk in with a virtual vet in your pocket. That's terrific. Now, at the same time, still, what, 76% ownership, which is just money in the bank, right? There's nothing, nothing's changed there, right. right? And right. you have to raise price for when the inflation. That's right. But it hasn't been like you haven't been able to keep. No, in fact, acquisition, customer acquisition into ownership is up 150 basis points year over year. 
So not only are customer, more customers coming into the program, our stickiness in the program and our share of wallet expansion in the program has continued unabated. Now, okay, so everyone seems to, the bears, because there's a, there's a considerable short position, even down here, which kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, they focus on the fact that people don't want to spend as much on discretionary uh, items. I mean, that's just, look, look it, to me, telehealth is bigger than this. Uh, to me, insurance is bigger than this. It's the wrong focus. I mean, sure, you want to offer it, but it's not the be-all and end-all of, uh, of chewing. No, not at all. In fact, 85% of our revenue comes from consumables, so food and, 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 and health care, which essentially makes for non-discretionary items you know, where consumers continue to spend. Right. And we're not seeing uh, uh, any kind of materiality in terms of trade-down as well. So when you look at the way that the business is somehow insured mm-hmm. from these trends, yes, of course, we're not, we, we play in the same market where you know, discretionary purchases are softening. But on the mo- for the most part, our business is relatively inert or relatively insured from that well, point of view. Well, let me get me again. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, obviously, the arc of what I'm asking is trying to figure out how the, what the shorts are getting at. Yeah. And to me, maybe they're just thinking uh, there's a lot of competition. And people don't, we had this zoom in humanization of pets. And then after the pandemic, pandemic, it, it went down. Is it perhaps those are the things that people worry about? It's not, no, not, not really, Jim. What, what is happening right now is that the level of inflation that has passed through the system over the last couple of quarters has been unprecedented. But, and at the same time, the consumer's mindset is distressed. Right. And so from that point of view, so if, 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 a, if a pet parent was spending $100 on pet, they are still spending $100 on pet. It's just that... 20 out of that 100 was going on toys or discretionary right. items. And now perhaps $5 is going towards that and the rest are going towards consumables and health. Well, the food did go up in The food did go up, yes. yes. Now, why can't it go back down? Well, so for this category isn't really deflationary in nature per se. I mean, you're looking at branded goods that have a ton of brand power and loyalty built into right. it. And so from a, we're not super concerned about the deflationary impact in pet. Okay. I mean, you're not looking at grocery where, you know, these type of impacts are prevalent. Right. Pet just doesn't behave that way. Okay. Well, look, I, I just, you know, honestly, I was so glad you came on because I realized there's one Chewy, which is the Chewy that an ignorant person like I know as a customer. I don't, and then there's the other Chewy, which is the new Chewy, which is doing incredibly well. And that's why you have an investor day, that's to right. show these things off. That's right. And I think you did an admirable job. There's a lot of stuff here I didn't know. Thank you. Okay, that's Smith uh, Singh from Chewy. It's C-H-W-Y. And I want to make everybody clear, you should read this. There's a good presentation. You can learn about what I consider to be the new Chewy. May have money's back here for the break. After the break, can an upcoming painkiller give extra life to your portfolio? Kramer details a pharma stock that popped on good news. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Let me tell you.
tell you about one of this week's biggest winners, and it had absolutely nothing to do with the Fed's dovish turn yesterday. I'm talking about Vertex Pharmaceuticals. It's a long-time Kramer fave drug. I've been recommending this for ages, and I've been doing that thanks to the strength of it's an amazing cystic fibrosis franchise for a horrendous disease. But now let's work on something else that's revolutionary, a non-addictive painkiller. So far this week, Vertex has seen its stock worth 16%. The good news started last Friday when we learned the FDA had approved a new treatment for sickle cell disease, one developed jointly by Vertex and CRISPR, that's C-R-I-S-P, no E-R. That's a gene editing company. This was seen as a milestone because it's the first CRISPR genome editing cell therapy to get FDA approval for anything. These so-called CRISPR drugs work by targeting specific strings of your genetic code that cause some type of disease. And then they replace that sequence with the healthy version. That effectively cures the disease. Basically, this technology is potential to fix all sorts of genetic conditions. And first of these uh, therapies is about to hit the market. And it is very exciting. But that wasn't actually a huge positive catalyst for Vertex stock. In fact, it dropped more than 1% on Friday. Uh, even though Vertex's CRISPR therapy could have huge implications for 20 million people worldwide who happen to ha- suffer from sickle cell disease, only about 100,000 of them are in the United States, the big profit center for the pharmaceutical industry. More important, while the treatment is based on a revolutionary technology, from Wall Street's perspective, it works too well. You only need one course of treatment, and you're cured. Finally, it'll only be available at nine treatment centers across the country and has a jaw-dropping price tag of $2.2 million. Given that curing sickle cell disease can increase someone's lifespan for decades, you could argue that it's priceless. But who knows if insurance companies will cover it? So it, it just wasn't as big a deal as it sounded. Instead, what we care about is what happened yesterday. When Vertex announced a positive phase two, not three, phase two clinical trial results for its new painkiller. Specifically, this was a study on how the drug treats painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy. That's a type of nerve damage that can happen when you get diabetes. There's a whole variety of chronic conditions under the umbrella of peripheral neuropathic pain. So if the drug works for one of them, then we've got to be thinking maybe it could work for 10 million patients a year in the United States. The key to this drug, it's called VX548, is that it's not an opioid. So it's a non-addictive painkiller. And the phase two study results show that it does a terrific job of reducing pain. They tested against a control group that got Lyrica, which is what normally gets prescribed for nerve pain. Vertex asked patients to rank their pain on a scale of 1 to 10. And after 12 weeks of use, VX548 reduced pain levels by a meaningful amount. More importantly, it worked better than Lyrica at every dosage level. Good safety profile, too. Bet you it doesn't put on as much weight as Lyrica. This, my friends, is a very big deal. In fact, I'd argue Vertex's new painkiller is the biggest story in pharma, aside from the rise of the GLP-1 weight loss drugs, although you can make the case that they're in the same league. Yet it is not getting the respect it deserves from investors. Maybe they just don't realize how big and important this thing is. All right, so first, let's start with this. The phase two study showed that Vertex's painkiller is just as good as treating diabetic nerve pain as Lyrica, possibly better. Lyrica was a blockbuster drug that did around $5 billion in peak annual sales for Pfizer before it lost patent protection. But I expect this VX548 to become much, much larger than Lyrica. If it continues to post strong trial results and eventually get approved because the world desperately needs a powerful non-opioid painkiller. We have a horrific opioid epidemic in this country, in large part because doctors overprescribe stuff like OxyContin for years, but also because there are no good non-opioid painkillers. So if you're suffering from serious pain, you either try to power through it with something like over-the-counter Tylenol, not kidding, you try ice, which sometimes works, or you take the risk of ruining your life 
by getting an opioid prescription or you stop popping the 20 or 30 pills that some reckless doctors actually give you when you leave the hospital. So a powerful non-addictive painkiller would be the holy grail for Big Pharma. Vertex is starting with diabetic nerve pain, but the real goal is broader non-addictive pain treatment franchise that can practically print money, people. And that's why the stock surged in 357 to 405 yesterday when a lot of the pharma was weak because we got this big pivot. This morning, uh, David Rissinger at Lering published a note on Vertex titled, Pain Drug is Real and Opportunity is Tremendous, where he raised his price target from 442 to 485. Uh, the analyst gives Wall Street's understanding. He, he gets it, uh, how big Vertex painkiller could be. He believes their pain program could potentially drive peak sales of more than $10 billion. I think he's right on the money. To put that in perspective, Vertex's core statistic fibrosis business could generate uh, $9.9 billion in sales this year. This has been a huge winner, with cystic fibrosis sales rising at a compound rate of 18.5%. That's uh, since the first of these drugs was approved, and that was back in 2012. This is what turned Vertex into a biopharma powerhouse. Now, a respected analyst is saying that the new pain franchise could be even larger than the cystic fibrosis firm. Real company here, people. Of course, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. This was just a phase two trial. Vertex still needs to get through phase three. And even if it, everything goes perfectly, the process should take a few years. I was surprised they revealed the phase two. I would have hauled it for phase three. But then again, maybe this is the revolutionary breakthrough. and We got to do this. For example, Lorene Canales doesn't expect any sales from the pain drugs until 2027. Plus, I hate to chase stocks that just had huge runs. Well, I've recommended Vertex regularly for over a decade now because of the cystic fibrosis drug, including a strong push for it just in last Friday's game plan. I still think it's a mistake to buy the stock candidate over fist after such a major move higher. Like I said, it's going to take years before Vertex gets FDA approval for any kind of painkiller. That's why my advice is to put this stock on a shopping list and then wait for the next market-wide sell-off to give you a better buying opportunity. There's no hurry here because this is a very long-term call, and the specific catalyst, the phase two trial date, has already come and gone. I wouldn't be surprised if the stock comes in simply from traders ringing the register saying, hey, you know what, I'm bored with this one. But, man, think about the difference between Vertex and the vast majority of big pharma companies that are losing patents on the big drugs that I've been talking about and don't have anything meaningful in their replace. Think Pfizer, okay? Vertex still has many years of exclusivity left on the core cystic fibrosis drugs. And with this non-opioid painkiller, they likely have something even more valuable in the pipeline that could hit the market well before the older drugs need to be replaced. That's perfect. No cliff. Bottom line, after what we've seen over the past week, I think Vertex's, Vertex Pharma's future is as bright as it's ever been. And I've been recommending it for more than 10 years. I like the company more than ever, but the stock is run. So please, if you don't already own it, put Vertex on that shopping list, wait for that market-wide sell-off, and then pull the trigger. Let's go to Bill in Florida. Bill. How are you, Jim? Bill, I'm good. How about you? Doing excellent. What a privilege to be talking to you. By the way, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Just oh, in case I thank you. Year. Thank you. Same to you, man. Yeah, uh, this, I'm, I'm calling about a company named recently by Newsweek as one of America's most responsible companies in 2024. It uh, has healthcare investments in the USA, Europe, Australia, and South America. 444 properties leased or loaned to 55 operators and seven under development and five in the form of mortgage loans. The company is called MPW Medical Properties. Yeah. Um, this has not been one of my favorites, and it's got that huge, uh, you know, it's got a 10% yield. These guys have, have had trouble. Uh, the, the, uh, let me just say, I think that it, it looks cheap, but it's not cheap. How about I put it like that, okay? Let's go to Rob in Kentucky. Rob. 
Booyah, old wise master from Derby City, Louisville, Kentucky. There you go. There you go. Where the 150th run for the Roses will happen next year. Oh, I didn't know that. Congratulations. I love Louisville. I've been there many times and been to many derbies, and it's really one of the most exciting things in the world. Greatest two minutes in sports. Uh, Jim, you have been a longtime advocate for Deborah Cafaro, CEO of Ventos. This poor performer is down over 17, excuse me, 19% the last five years versus its counterpart, Welltower, being up 27%. I realize the interest rate environment hasn't been favorable to most REITs, so is it time to get rid of this poor performer? Well, I think you put it in a very, unfortunately for me, compelling way. I say unfortunate because, yes, I am a big Deb Cafaro backer, but it's not been great. And, uh, and maybe I just have to own that it's not been as great as I was hoping it to be. I mean, uh, you obviously, Rob comes in and, it, Rob, it, and he's telling the truth. And I cannot run from the truth. I backed someone. It's not as good a story as I was hoping to be. How about that? Vertex, though, is future is as bright as it's ever been. And it's a stock that you want to own. Maybe you get a pullback, but I really think this is special. And I don't think people are paying enough attention to it. All right, much more made money, including Dick Sporting Goods versus Academy Sports. Who's going to reign supreme in the sporting goods cohort? I'm going to break it down and try to learn how to do these kinds of things. You'll love it. Then Stanley Black and Decker caught a downgrade from J.P. Morgan today. So then why the heck did the stock soar? I'm breaking down the big picture in this one. And, you know, I do think it's the best tool company in the world. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Any given earnings season, we're always on the lookout for wildly divergent results from companies in the exact same business, because that's how you separate the wheat from the proverbial chaff. For example, in recent weeks, we've heard very different things from a pair of sporting goods shades. There's Dick Sporting Goods, which did great. Then there's Academy Sports and Outdoors, which frankly did terribly. Now, to be fair, Dick's was in awful shape earlier this year. The stock lost 24% of its value in a single day after reported in August because the numbers were so ugly. But I told you it was a buying opportunity. I've always been back in this company. While the stock got worse before it got better, it finally bottomed in late October and is now up 36% from those lows, fueled in part by the magnificent quarter they reported over three weeks ago. Academy Sports is a smaller operator with roughly 280 stores across 18 states, mostly in the southeast and lower Midwest, versus 850 locations for Dick's across multiple brands. Remember, they also own Golf Galaxy. I've been to that. Public Lands, I don't know, and Moose Jaw, among others. And Academy Sports is clearly struggling. So let me walk you through the quarter, starting with Dix. Now, these guys posted 1.7% same-store sales growth when the analysts were looking for a 1.3% decline. Their net sales came in higher than expected. Their margins expanded thanks to better cost control. They did a big buyback. And all of that translated into a major earnings beat. That was all the more impressive because when Dix last reported in August, they slashed their full-year forecast and gave tepid guidance for the next quarter. But it turned out they were just resetting expectations because when the company reported three weeks ago, they raised their full-year earnings forecast again. Since then, the stock's rallied more than 22%. I know it sounds like raise, lower, raise, lower, but just say what you need to know is up 22%. Academy Sports, on the other hand, had far less impressive numbers when it reported back on November 30th. The week just started on the top line, with Academy Sports seeing an 8% decline in same-store sales. That's not that great. And that's even worse than the 5.9% hit the analysts were looking for. The net sales came in light, off 6.4% year-over-year. Their margins shrank substantially. 
In the end, their earnings per share were down more than 17% year over year to just $1.38 per share when Wall Street expected them to make $1.58. And many people have called in about that stock, and I've said that's the number in my head about why I said don't buy it. Make matters worse, Academy Sports took down every line of its full-year forecast, every single line. I'm not kidding. Now, interestingly, the stock actually rallied in response to those numbers, jumping 8.5% the day after the report. And the darn things kept running since then. Why? Because Academy Sports had some positive things to say about the cadence of the quarter, how sales trended from month to month to month. According to them, the weakness was isolated to September and early October, caused by warmer-than-expected weather, and business picked up in late October. Their August sales were down mid-single digits. September sales were down double digits. But thanks to the pickup in late October, that month was only down mid-single digits. And the pattern holds and things will keep improving. At the same time, Academy Sports announced a $600 million repurchase program, bringing their total buyback authorization to $700 million. And that is 15% of the company's market capitalization. It's a real buyback. So both stocks are up, even though one company reported a strong quarter and the other didn't. But what do we do with them now? All right, long, long story short, I think you need to sell Academy Sports into strength. And if you still want exposure to this industry, you should swap into Dick's Sporting Goods, which is still cheap at just over 11 times next year's earnings estimates. While Academy Sports is even cheaper at eight times next year's numbers, the company's also a lot less reliable. You should always be willing to pay a premium for best of breed. And this premium's not even that big. I prefer Dick's Sporting Goods for the same reason it was able to deliver such great results this time. Academy Sports tends to cater to a lower-end consumer, making it more dependent on on discounting, which is a dangerous game for retail. Dick's also has more scale, which means their suppliers are more willing to give them the best product. For example, they're going to get the best assortment of Nikes, better ones than Academy. Dick's has also invested heavily into its e-commerce business and its omni-channel infrastructure over the past couple years, while Academy Sports is much less impressive on the digital front. Both companies do have significant buybacks in effect, as I mentioned. But as I explained in the past, buybacks are most beneficial when the company is still investing in its business at the same time, like Dix has been doing. See, there's this new houses, sports, stores concept. It's doing very well. And then it's Game Changer app. Listen, this thing facilitates stat keeping and live streaming for Little League sports, but also provides Dix with a treasure trove of customer data. I think game cha- the Game Changer app is, frankly, a game changer, especially if you're a dad and you can't get to the game, which was the story that I had, unfortunately. Then there's the guns issue. I don't want to go too deep into this one because it's inevitably too political. But Dix stopped selling guns five years ago after the big sh- school shooting in Parkland, Florida. That move cost them hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, but the company's now recovered. I know they don't regret it. I've sat down with them several times. Academy Sports still sells guns. And while this is, a, is definitely, definitely something that its customers do appreciate, it also comes with complications. Two weeks ago, Academy agreed to pay $2.5 million apiece to the families of three victims of South Carolina serial killer that got his guns at one of the locations, even though he shouldn't have been legally eligible to buy them. So there is some inherent litigation risk here. And given the way our legal system works, that, that is hard for me to stomach, as you know. In the end, though, this is real simple. Dick Sporting Goods just reported a phenomenal beat and raise quarter, while Academy Sports missed numbers and cut its forecast. Dix has growth, even if it's modest growth right now. Academy has shrinkage. Even if both stocks rallied in response to the latest quarters, it's pretty clear that Dix is doing much better than Academy. Yet its stock is only a little more expensive on a price-to-earnings multiple. Like I always tell members of the CNBC Investing Club, stick with best of breed. Remember, for the past seven weeks, this market's been on fire. And it's gotten to the point where buyers are taking up not just good companies, but now, and especially today, they're taking up bad ones. As this rally gets long in the tooth, which it will, you need to start thinking about whether the stocks you own can keep running in the future. My blanket advice is to stick with quality. 
Bottom line, if you still believe in the sporting goods story, you want to swap out of the one with bad numbers, and that's Academy Sports, and swap into the better operator, and that's Dix. That's a process that we call high grading, and it's what the best investors do on a regular basis. You should do it, too. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky's the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Time for the lightning round. Here's the round. with David in Florida. David. Hey, Jim. Big Booyah from the House of the Mouse, Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for taking my call. Of course. So my uh, stock tick- ticker symbol is MBI. It recently spiked after an announcement of a special $8 one-time dividend payable uh, next week on December 22nd. What's your take on the recent I think you had to do it before him. I think that that chip has sailed, my friend. It's already up. Let's go to Craig in Ohio. Craig. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Thank I'd you, I'd like Craig. your thoughts on uh, Whirlpool by Seller Hole. Well, you know what? Whirlpool's another. I feel awful about Whirlpool that I did not pull the trigger on this one two days ago. This is going to be, like Stanley Black & Decker, one of the two best ways to be able to play the change of the Fed. That's why it was up $8 and it's probably going to continue to go higher. Greg in California. Greg. Hi, Jim. Today I'm calling about Carnival Cruise Line. I was in it earlier this year but thought it had run aground, so I got out, took a small profit, and bought a scarf. But it's wintertime now, Jim, and I'm cold. I need to earn enough to buy a sweater. Do I still have time to board this ship, or did I really miss the boat on this one? I bought a cashmere sweater last week at Neiman. I didn't know how much cashmere had gone up in price. Holy cow. Um, I think Carnival is my least favorite. I like Royal, and then I like Norwegian, and then I like Carnival. And I do like the group. Let's go to Evan in Ohio. Evan. Hey, Jim. How are you? All right. How are you? I'm good. Listen, long time, second time. We spoke a year and a half ago on out of question about a stock for you. And at that time, your exact quote was, that is a sweet one, often overlooked by the market. Well, it was 20 bucks then. Today it broke 54, and I would love to know if you could get their CEO on the show because this is an American success story. I want to know if I buy, sell, or hold ready. Modine Manufacturing. Look, that's right up there with train and with carrier. By the way, I like the uh, the last uh, sell off of one last thing for carrier making, so it's going to have a great balance sheet. Those three are all very good. John Scuzzle is not so. I think you're fine in that one. Let's go to Nick in Florida, please. Nick. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Nick from Florida. I'd like to say a quick happy birthday to my favorite, tiniest little nephew, Jace. And a big thank you to you, Jim. You don't give the man a fish. You truly teach the man to fish. And you have actually improved people's lives. Well, thank you. Thank you, because, I mean, that's kind of the goal. I want everyone to be better at managing their own. Not just, you know, me, because that doesn't work. So thank you. Thank you for understanding what I'm doing here. And how can I help? My stock is a company I've owned with a forward P.E. of 17, a healthy yield of 4%. Always seems to do well at earnings announcements. My concern is it's fallen behind in the AI race, and can it pivot? I've had a nice run up. Shall I sell my IBM? 
No, I think that that Armin Christian. I think he's making a real turn. I think that the, that they're they're finally figuring out how to use Red Hat the right way. I think that this stock is inexpensive, and I know. I, look, I hope I don't regret this, but I think it's actually a pretty good stock here, and I wish that I had pounced on it from my trust at 145. Let's go to Carson, Indiana. Carson, go for Carson. Yo, Carson, what's up? Hey, let me get a quick shout out to those Indiana Hoosiers. Jim, I want to know your thoughts on DraftKings. Okay. Um, I think DraftKings has had a very, very big move. I think at $36 represents a lot of value still, but I'd like it to come in more because we liked it much, much lower. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, renovate and celebrate how a home improvement stock can give you the tools to thrive next. Investing is about what could happen, not what's happening right now. This morning, J.P. Morgan published its 2024 outlook for the building products industry. You dig into the report flipping by a host of decking and roofing companies, and you come across a downgrade of Stanley Bach and Decker. They downgraded the best tool company in the world to underweight, the equivalent of a sell rating. Full disclosure, we own Stanley Bach and Decker for the Travel Trust, betting on a resurgence in both professional tool demand and also do-it-yourself demand from regular consumers. So when I saw the downgrade, I said to myself, I'm puzzled. Quizzical. The research channel says he believes the estimates on the street are too aggressive because he fears margin compression. In other words, he's predicting a shortfall caused by lower demand and more supply. It's a deadly combination. That would be just awful. Nine times out of ten, this kind of research would have crushed any stock, but not today. Today, Stanley Bach and Decker saw its stock soar up more than 5%. Incredible. On a day when a major house is used to sell, how the heck did that happen? I'll tell you how, because the market's saying that this J.P. Morgan analyst is dead wrong, dead wrong to use the prism that he's doing. See, the analyst says we have, and I quote, a tale of two end markets, new residential rebounds, while repair remodel remains stuck in reverse. That made sense before 2 p.m. yesterday. The home builders have been roaring, and they still are. But you can't look at things in static fashion. Things are not reversing. You see, J-PAL did something brilliant yesterday to solve the housing shortage. I've told you over and over again that home prices are up 40% since the start of the pandemic, and that's the bane of PAL's existence. He wants them lower, but there's just not enough supply and too much demand. Now, that's in part because the home builders have been so disciplined about holding off on new construction. That's one reason I've liked the stocks all along, especially Lenar, which reported tonight. And Toll Brothers, they just announced a 20 million share buyback yesterday as a fifth of the flow. Now, everybody figured that if the Fed kept raising rates, mortgages would get too expensive and people would stop buying homes. Then any new supply would overwhelm the diminished demand and prices would crumble. It didn't happen. Instead, we got the opposite. Every time the Fed raised rates, mortgages would get more expensive, but the secular thirst for new homes simply never stopped and the price of homes never came down. Existing home sales, though, usually 90% of the market at a given time dried up because nobody wants to give up their ultra-low rate mortgage from being that was started before the Fed started tightening. Millions upon millions of people bought homes with 3 or 4% mortgages. If you buy a new house, you'd be paying 8%. So a lot of existing homeowners simply refuse to sell. Therefore, there really was only one way to make housing cheaper. You have to lower the cost of the mortgage to be more competitive than the other mortgages. 
I know it's totally counterintuitive for the Federal Reserve because raising rates has always crushed housing prices. But Jay Powell finally figured out it ain't working. It ain't working this time because of the low mortgage rates and an anomaly left over from COVID. Soon we'll see a flood of older homes for sale as interest rates come down. Potential sellers stop feeling like idiots for giving up their old mortgages and housing will return to much lower prices. So let's bring it back to Stanley Black and Decker, please. Before the Fed meeting, you wouldn't want tools that would help people fix up old homes. But now with the probability of used homes finally beginning to hit the market, you don't want to sell the stock of Black & Decker, Stanley Black & Decker. You want to buy it. Because when people buy older homes, what do they do? They renovate and repair them with Stanley Black & Decker tools. The buyers ignored the sell recommendation and swarmed on the stock for that reason. I bring all this up because you cannot have a static view of the market when you buy stocks. Before yesterday's news for the Fed, this analyst was dead right about Stanley Black & Decker. Now, though, Jay Powell's cracked the code for making houses more affordable by reversing the course of mortgage rates. And in this new world, Stanley Black & Decker, it's just too cheap to ignore it, even as the stock's up 100 to 101 just a few bucks away from its 52-week high, which I think it will take out very soon. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries will warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.